The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. I've never been this nervous in my life. Greetings from Longtime No See the Podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! What would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on. A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my god, Jack almost fell off his chair. Be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. The Star Wars universe is constantly expanding. But how the heck are you going to keep tabs on it without a holocron? And where in the rim can I score the juiciest news and rumors? Ah, you seek State of the Empire. Consequence of Sound's Star Wars Speculation Podcast, where we look for news in all the wrong places. We dig into the Sarlacc pit of the internet for the hottest intel in the galaxy far, far away. Make Indiana Jones inquiries and keep watch for the latest on Willow. Find us on consequenceofsound.net or wherever you procure fine podcasts. It's the show you're looking for. Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with an audio interview series presented by WFPK Independent Louisville at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound and the Consequence Podcast Network. Take a second before we get started to hit the subscribe button. We put out interviews every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at Consequence of Sound, and we'd love to keep you up to date. That means whether you're uh, getting your podcasts from iTunes and Apple Podcasts, or maybe you're listening on YouTube or Spotify, really wherever you get your podcasts from, hit the subscribe button and keep up to date with us. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today I'm taking a 40-year-long journey with Jim Kerr of Simple Minds. We're going to head back to 1979 for the 40th anniversary of their first two records, Life in a Day and Real to Real Cacophony. Then we'll jump to 1989 for the Street Fighting Years, which takes us into 1999 for a lost record called Our Secrets Are the Same and Even O9's Graffiti Soul. As it turns out, he's also born on a nine, so it's all around us on this one. We're going to get into the stories of each record, and we'll get an update on what's next. There's lots to get into, so I'm just going to go ahead and turn it over. It's Kyle Meredith with Simple Minds. How you doing, Kyle? What we're looking here is a 40-year quest... In, uh, in hopefully less than a half an hour. So. Okay. But uh, as it happens, I mean, uh, Simple Minds, you released a lot of things on the nines, as it were, you know, 79, 89, and et cetera. And, and, and we'll go right back to the beginning, too, because two records in 1979, the first two, Life in a Day and, and the Real to Real record, I mean, that's the, this is the 40th anniversary. That's, that's something, right? Well, you just pointed something out to me, Kyle, about all the nines. I was born on a 59. So oh, wow. That's that's the first nine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that didn't dawn on me until you just said that right there. So the big year for me coming up this year. But um, that's the irony, you know. I mean, in terms of attitudes toward anniversaries and things, I'm a guy that normally doesn't even celebrate my own birthday, you know. I don't really care about it. However, as a music fan, 
And that's what is interesting. Not even as an artist, but as a music fan. I still do remember the date of my first concert, and I still do remember certain things that have that have, all these years later to do with um, my love for um, buying records and seeing live bands. I mean, that that's the great thing. I mean, when, when you get into the science of music and what it does to your brain, how it just timestamps you in this very specific yeah. moment throughout your life, you know? And Yeah. Yeah. And of course, you know, and, and, and I'll pay you that compliment. I mean, uh, I, I wasn't around yet in 79, but a lot of your music has done that for me. I, I came just uh, two years later for myself in, uh, in 81. All right. But, uh, <laughs> You're one of you're, you're one of the babies. One of the babies. That's right. Uh, baby at thirty seven now, I suppose. But uh... cool. cool. So so life in a day. You know, here here's where it sort of starts. You know, a couple years into the band's career, you get your your first album, and you know. From how I read history and everything, I mean, everything sort of happens really quickly here. I mean, in the UK, this is this is sort of a hit right out of the gate, right? Well, it is in, in the sense that it, much more than we could ever have imagined. But um, we were either very lucky, very good, or combination of a few things. But certainly, when we started our band, our first gig was in 78, January 78. And within a year... We had signed a record deal and and had we had played a lot in Scotland. We hadn't really played in England, but we had played a lot in Scotland and it built up quite a local following. Um, big enough, you know, not huge, but big enough so that when our debut album came out, Life in a Day, there was a lot of people in Scotland waiting for it, and they bought it, which gave it, which put it into the British charts. This made us look bigger than we were in England off off the bat. But yeah, we within a year we 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 kind of um not only did we get a record deal and make a record and 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 well, almost within a year you know secured a spot on national TV on the serious music program stuff that normally would take people 2 3 4 years to do. We we I don't know, we had got this momentum behind us and uh you're right when you say it went very fast. How were the first days in the studio for you then? Because, uh, you know, again, for, for having been sort of so new and, and, and it's still in a you know constant state of flux as far as putting the band together, what were those first days in that studio like? I mean, tremendously exciting, kind of overwhelming, but tremendously exciting because... Some of the band had never been in London. Uh, uh, I mean, I had travelled to London, hitchhiked to London with our demo tapes and stuff to go around. But but I mean, we had. I mean, everything was brand new. We 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 couldn't have been <laughs> we couldn't have been greener, but thought we knew it all. <laughs> so to go down to you know to go into on that debut album, we we worked in the you know the best of we worked in two or three places in London, all the state of the art at the time, and including I mean the cherry and the cake in terms of in terms of being overwhelmed was we even had a week in Abbey Road and 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 all of that which was you know beyond dreams. It was uh, tremendously exciting, but it was also when I say overwhelming the. Thinking about it now, with hindsight, was it the right thing to do? I'm not so sure it was. It, 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 was, a, it was a huge jump. And to be really honest with you, some of our demo tapes recorded in the little studio along the road from us in Glasgow had a better feel about them. 
But that's what it was. We wanted a big produced record and we wanted to work with a big famous record producer and we wanted to work in the big studios and we got what we wanted. And what you all were doing, I mean, sound-wise... You, you know, it, it was starting to erupt, you know, whatever subgenre you want to put that in as everything's been stamped these days. But but everything was still sort of new what you were doing. And and that's what I love about it, you know, you know, in, in a, in a post-punk angular world. I mean, this was still virgin territory of how to deconstruct and, and rebuild a song. I mean, I, I know you all were looking at certain influences that have been talked about, whether it be Roxy or Bowie or, or The Doors or something like that. But to me, it seems like even touching on those artists, it was still just going out into the darkness with your songwriting. Like, how did you all find that? Well, that's a great question. I mean, I was I was actually talking today to my songwriting partner Charlie Burchill, who something came up, and I was saying <laughs> we were influenced by very many people, and you just mentioned some of them there, but. We weren't very good at copying them. Some people come alive and you can hear, you say, well, that's, you know, that's great, but it's a complete rip-off of something else that can be before. We, we, we were strongly influenced, but we, we still had to make it up ourselves. It was still very much uh, homemade. And um, not only, again, to show you how fresh-faced we were about it all, not only had we never been in London, not only had we never made made a record, we had never met anyone who had made a record because there was no scene in Glasgow. You know, there was no um, no one before us. Anyone that from Glasgow who made records moved to London, and you never met them. So we had no. There was no mentor. There was no. Uh, um, there was no one. It was all done from a distance. It was all. It was all through going to see bands playing live. It was all through listening to records, trying to work out what we liked and how you would do it, how you would emulate it, and then how you would eventually create your own thing. And it was all done on the hoof. It was all whatever you call it now. Um, work, you know, in the workshed. It was just. There was a ton of imagination. That's what there was. There was a ton of enthusiasm, a ton of energy, a ton of imagination. Well, that that must really come into play, you know, as we say, you know, two albums released in that year, which was like the old days, you know, back in the 60s. And, and, and there were some bands still doing that. But, uh, but you know, you, you follow that up with, with the album, uh, which released, what, later that year in, in November. Yeah. But that, I mean, yeah, well, you were always, by the time an album came out, but, you know, you were always working one ahead. So, for instance, by the time we did our debut album, well, we'd already written all those songs eight, nine, ten months previously, almost. And then by the time the album came out, you were already playing at sound checks. You would be messing around with new ideas and coming up with, with stuff. So almost by the time a record came out, it was dated to you. You were already on to the next next thing. And especially when there was, you know, three or four of the guys in the band who could come up with ideas, there was no shortage of it. It wasn't like it just hung on one or two songwriters. Everyone was coming up with ideas or, or, or you know, the momentum, creative momentum. All, all we did all we did was play music. If we weren't touring, we would be in a rehearsal room playing night and day. When you do that, you're, you're chock full of ideas. I was going to say, you know, you talk about that imagination, though. I mean, that must have really come into play with Real to Real Cacophony because cause that was mostly written in the studio, though, right? I mean, you were still putting songs together. Yeah, well, usually, 
mean, then you were just you were expected to maybe have ten songs, and perhaps we would have five or six up our sleeve, and the rest was kind of left to see what would happen in there, which. <laughs> Which I don't advise people to do, but uh, <laughs> but that's the way it was then, yeah. And um, in our case, it worked out. Yeah, but that's 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 a really big trust fall, especially coming yeah. after you know some success right out of the gate on that on on life in a day, as you kind of mentioned in that yeah. way anyway. But but to go in there, I mean, there's a lot of trust. Like this will come. This these songs will happen. Yeah, yeah, and and yeah, you have to believe. Yeah, and you're still finding your own voice at that point, right? Because, I mean, it's been written. This is a very different record from Life in the Day. Yeah, I mean, it, it, you see, Life in the Day kind of, um, I don't want to talk it down, but I had this thing by the end of Life in a Day. I mean, as it was coming out, the speakers, you know, it, in one hand, it, it sounded impressive. We were in there, it was, you know, produced, it was, sounded great, there it was. But I didn't have, there was something niggling me about it, and I didn't have the experience to know what it was. Um, it wasn't until a week or so after it was finished where I thought, there's more to Simple Minds than, than this. This is one aspect of Simple Minds. And and so with the second album, I think we, we, we tried to pour, pour on more of the art rock. And um, I think I think I may have overdone it a little bit because the record <laughs> company hated it. <laughs> Uh, they really hated it because they wanted songs like Chelsea Girl, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. And, they, you know, that, they're great. But, you know, we were, we wanted a bit more Brian Eno in there. And um, so between that, but even the song, even the album title itself, you know, we're, we're hardly looking for the top ten. But we had to show that the band had a depth mm-hmm. that perhaps we felt the first album didn't. And that's the path we went down. When you're still tweaking the lineup, I mean, going into these, how much of that, you know, did, did you ever find that that was an issue in any of your records, you know, as the lineup was sort of always in flux in, in some way? That came a little bit later on. I mean, that was still very much, Real Real was still, uh, you know, the original guys that we started out with, really. I mean, actually, we, we, we had a few changes before we even made our, our first album, but Real to real, the first three, the first four albums were, you know, still kind of the band from school because, you know, Simple Minds was formed really from a, a bunch of school friends. So the first four albums were still around that. And then, you know, <laughs> you had like uh, the drummer saying, this is never going to work. I'm, I'm going to go and get married and work in my father-in-law's bar and uh, make money there. And we go, okay. <laughs> Have fun, enjoy. Yeah. So, well, that does you know kind of lead in. So, so let's let's jump ten years. You know, now we go yeah. to 1989, and it is a very different band once again with a very yeah. different sound. And we're talking about the street fighting years that comes off this one. I mean, would the band from '79 recognize the band from '89? Do you think? Um, that's a good question. Um, uh, no, probably no. <laughs> probably no. no. It's a great record, by the way, and I, I want to compliment that right from the beginning, too, with Street Fighting Years, because I think it did get lost a bit in the era. Yeah. But, um, it's, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very political record, and, and it is, a, you know, it is you, got, you all, once again, kind of toying with your sound, trying to find new things to do. Uh, and maybe yeah. we just start with the beginning of the year, because you release uh, uh, Mandela Day, which I think had been actually done the year before, but it, it kind of starts off 89 and leads into the record. I mean, is, is that the proper kickoff? Because... 
we're just coming off of of lots of Mandela talk. We we just came out of Russia yeah. and the whole world with the Cold War, right. and and now the attention was on Africa, right? Yeah, I mean, we we um, I guess when we got our big success, you know, really going back to the record before with with um, Once Upon a Time, and and we felt, um, I guess it was just the way we were brought up and stuff. We just felt also we were growing up, we had much more notice of the world around us, and kind of wanted to write. Wanted to write about the themes of the day, you know that this these were our times we we felt and what a challenge uh, we were interested in the themes of the day and you just mentioned some of them there they were the themes that were a big deal to our generation apartheid uh, especially in the UK the whole situation in Northern Ireland and we wrote Belfast Child about that and Margaret Thatcher in the UK there had been a lot of um, kind of heartless policies that our own town suffered from. So all of that was really fueling uh, the songwriting, which I think, if you're going to make every album like that, I don't know. But I think if you're going to make a lot of you know music and, and you have a certain wide-eyedness about the world around you, it's inevitable that you're going to write some of the, the social songs as, 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 as people who we looked up to did, Peter Gabriel. Bruce Springsteen, so on and so forth. Even Prince with a song like Sign of the Times, you know, just this little three and a half minute pop song where he where he manages to pull all the stuff in. It, it 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 was really something. It was inspiring. Every single one of these songs are relevant right now. I mean, because here we are again thirty years later in an age of chaos. You know, once again, as I think it, you know, is one of your lines about mm-hmm. that record has been yeah. You know, that's that's it's one of the great things about music, but it's one of the unfortunate things about a record like this, I guess, you know? <laughs> well, funny enough, you you're, the interview I did just before you, the guy asked me, he said, you know, why don't you feel um, energized to write songs of a political nature just just now? And I said, I, I guess not. And he said, why do you think that is? And I said, I think we wrote them. I think the issues are always the same. The, the geography maybe changes. Okay, there's no violence in Northern Ireland just now, but the violence is in Syria. Symbolically, a song like Belfast Child can still work, it, it, you know, symbolically. Mm-hmm. Or in, in 1989, when we saw the Berlin Wall come down and all that stuff, I never thought we'd hear about walls again. <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> and here we are. <laughs> You're probably tired hearing about them. Oh, uh, I'm tired of that man Black speaking Life. at all, for what it's worth. <laughs> all right. Black Lives Matter. Well, we wrote about Black Lives Mattering when we wrote about apartheid. It was just a different part part of the world. And, I mean, it, sitting just now, it sounds like I'm being smug saying this. I'm not. Uh, it's just that um, I just feel, I, I said to him, I feel we've wrote those songs and and I think you're right. It's interesting that you point out that uh, the themes are always really the same if you're going to write about the bigger issues. You know, it's always going to be about injustice. So, I mean, new things come in, you know, but even then we were working with Greenpeace and all that, that stuff. The whole ecological movement was moving. It's... It, it, on and it travels around the the world, the geography. On the lighter side, you know, Lou Reed yeah. guests on, on this record with uh, with with this land, and you know, and, and that sort of ties back in to Chelsea Girl and uh, on the first record because yeah. you know, and you're you all had that fascination with the Warhol scene. Did that yeah. give you access? To, were you ever able to kind of dip your toe into into Andy's world? 
at one point when I was living in London, when I was married to Chrissy Haynes, she she was good friends with some of the people that were around that time, Jane County or Wayne County or... So there was that, knew David Johansson a bit, but not really. I mean, it was something I felt we grew up with from a distance, but somehow it spoke to us, even though we were teenagers on the other side of the Atlantic. Well, just to have Lou, you know, kind of be a part of that must have been everything. Come on, it's like getting Picasso or, (laughs) or, you know, to us, that's that's what he is in musical terms. You know, Lou's, uh, yeah, he's a Picasso. Um, um, and, and that he would even, um, that we would start this little band, you know, like millions of others inspired by the Velvet Underground. And then, it's funny, I was writing about this last week because I'm in the process of writing a book and, and uh, I was trying to sum up what it felt like to be in a, a studio in Paris, me, you know, literally waiting for the man and part terrified because he had a reputation you know, he could be a bit of a curmudgeon. And, um, yeah, you know, again, feeling completely out of my depth. What do I say to Lou Reed? But, uh, yeah, it's amazing um, um, to think that it all, all all happened. just want to quickly hit on the other two nines real quick. Um, one more of a uh, – I'll start with a compliment. Our Secrets Are the Same is, is the great Lost Simple Minds record. It does eventually come out in a box set. You guys started recording that in 99. I mean, the – sort of 90s electronica sound that was going on there is so good. This is one of my favorite records, and I'm not just saying that as one of those nerdy fans who pick the obscure record to say that about. <laughs> but it's like, it's 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 the record to me that what could have been had it all, I guess, yeah. worked out in a way, yeah. you know? Yeah, I think that's right. I think, I mean, it was, it got lost in many ways, the, the record. Um, I mean, we're, we've never been the type to point the finger to blame at other things or whatever, you know, or... Even with ourselves, we were, the technology was just coming in then. It wasn't quite all there yet. And the new technology was coming in and and we didn't quite really have it down yet. So I feel the production mixing and all that could have been a lot lot better. But but yeah, you know, these were the records, you know, by this time our popularity was well. We were in Alaska. We were, you know, nowhere. But we had to keep it together. We had to we had to go on. We had to move on. We had to we had to keep creating and uh, not turn in ourselves, regardless as to. Um, I mean, record was dumped. The, the record company didn't want to <laughs> didn't want it, which um, and then we got dumped. It, you know, they, they were tough times. But um, when you look through the history of uh, people, I mean, people much better than us had the same kind of things happen to them and that's when you find out who you are and then you go back and you think you know what that's a great song we're going to re-record that soon or whatever but um but it does have a charm that i think makes it special i mean you've got a swagger in your vocals that's a really kind of fun to listen to as well on that um i'm a big fan of that one and then with graffiti soul so that came out in in 2009 and that actually has sort of the tie to the present day now because First off, you know, that was a record, as, as you say, in, you know, so 1999, there you are on the, on the backside of popularity, but Graffiti Soul puts you back on the charts. And, and this is a record that's going to get a, a re-release on, on Record Store Day, right? Yeah, that's right. I mean, that was, with Graffiti Soul, uh, we really were starting to show that there was a confidence coming back. 
and a new vitality. And uh, it was like, um, okay, we've stopped flatlining. <laughs> we gotta, we gotta get off the table and really show, really stand up and really show that. Um, I mean, I, I always felt if, if Graffiti Soul had been a brand new band, I think that brand new band would have got a lot of attention. Right. Uh, right. Um, because I think it's, I think it's that good. So it was, it was the start of a, what we look on as a process of rehabilitation. Well, it's kind of fun that it does tie into the uh, the present day. So it'll get the re-release. Do you know what comes next at this point? I mean, the, the, the newest record is only a year old, so I don't want to jump too far. But uh, but as you say, once the uh, the record's done, you, you're you're already thinking about that next one. I was walking around Nice this morning, uh, thinking about lyrics and listening to some sketches, and we're already turned the ignition on the new one, or what will be the next one. So it goes on. I cannot wait for that. Do, do, do you do you start to get a feeling as to what it's going to sound like yet? Yes. I, it, walking around today, I had a real Bob Clearmount and Once Upon a Time feeling about it. Interesting. Interesting. Just that's just the way it was. Yeah. I just thought this is, this is this is evoking for me the the kind of joy that was in that record. Oh, I can't wait for that one. Jim, I'm always uh, always such a fan of, of what you do, and, and thank you so much for uh, for taking this little journey with me uh, today. I, I, I so appreciate it. Appreciate it, Kyle. Thank you very much. All right. Take care, and we'll be listening. All the best. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. Now, I also talked with uh, Jim Kerr uh, just last year when they were releasing their latest record, Walk Between Worlds. So I'm going to include that here as well. We do talk about bridging his current self to this younger self that we've been talking about in this record the overwhelming first time that they went to Abbey Road, something that he also mentioned in this interview. There's more of a story about that in the previous interview. So check this one out, too. Part two of Kyle Meredith with Simple Minds. Hi, Kyle. Nice to talk to you. Nice to talk to you. Really loving this record, Walk Between Worlds. Oh, great to hear. That's great. New album, new songs, um, a, a progressed sound as you've done throughout your career, although I get from the press release that there's still like this nice trick of of sort of having it rooted somewhere in your past, maybe in the artwork, in some of the hooks. Is, is that correct? Yeah, Kyle, I think that's the it's a perennial challenge, you know. It's kind of Groundhog Day with every, with every album. I think if you were to say, well, you know, what would be the ideal scenario here for fans of the band? It's got to be classic, you know. We want classic symbol minds, which by the very definition means the past, and then you say, what else you want to go? We want to be contemporary. <laughs> that means now or the future. What's, what's it going to be? But I guess that you want to tick a few of those boxes and you want to get them to, 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 to sit nicely with each other. And that's what people are hearing on the album. And, and I mean, that, that's a, it is a fun thing for, for, a, for a fan, too, because, you know, to get these new songs, but to have you call back like... Um, uh, I've heard that there's one song where you you actually sort of hints at, at older hooks and, and things like that. Yeah, well, that was a we've got a song called "Sense of Dis- Discovery" that goes back. In fact, it goes back six, seven years. There's even a a version of it online that we I did for uh, a radio session or something. But I almost felt sometimes a song has to find its time, and it's hard to d- define why a song's time is now. It's 
so many things involved, but it felt it was the right time for this song and everyone around us, the producer was saying, it's great, believe it, the arrangement is great. And I just kept thinking, well, actually, we're saying it's good. It's good, it's really good. It's good, believe it, it is. And I was going, there's a difference between good and great. And, and I just had this narking feeling that as much as we had a positive reaction, that something was missing. And they would say to me, well, what, you know, what, what, what is it is missing? And I would say, well, kind of like the thing we had on Alive and Kicking, the, the what you're going to do things. I say, we, we, we need something like that. And uh, I, um, in the end, we came up with something that I think evokes that. Yeah. And uh, so it's kind of like, a, it's like a postcard from the future back to the past or, or, or maybe the other way around. Which is awesome. I, I, I sort of get that between the title too, with the title, with Walk Between Worlds. I, I wondered about that, like, is that something to do with, with connecting with your youth through the present? There is song. I mean, I think the, the first song on the album, Magic, is, is it's, it's a young guy talking. It's a young, you know, Neil Young. I think he's been modest, but I remember it was a long while ago he said something about uh, talking about his career, and he says, what you do when you're young doesn't really count, which coming from a... His, some of the records he made, those young ones were amazing when he was barely still a kid. I could see the point he was saying. What he was saying is when you're young, you have nothing else in your life. Some might say you've got nothing to lose. You've got energy to burn. You stay up all night. You're, you're, you're not, you know, you're 100% engaged. And that's what a lot of great work comes out of. However, Neil was saying, fast forward 20, 30 years, when you've been round a bit, you've had a few knocks, you've experienced, you've had other things in your life, relationships and don't get me wrong, my life has been, by and large, been great. But, you know, no one gets a completely free ride. So to go back to your work when you're in that state is, is quite interesting what can come out. In our album, the first song, Magic, is the young guy. And the last song, Sense uh, Discovery, is, is someone with a lot more experience. Than, and they're both talking about faith which is um, kind of abstract if you take it outside of the religious sense. But, you know, the, the young guy's talking about the faith to believe he's got this thing in him and he wants to get it out to the world. He, he believes in magic. He believes everything is possible, all that stuff. And I certainly did when I was younger. Uh, the older guy is a bit more tempered. He's still with them, but he's a bit more tempered. And, and uh, that seems to be the scope of some of the songs. I mean, when you've got that much to look back on, you know, 40 years, which you guys just celebrated last year. Uh, it's um, it, it's interesting to have that, uh, that foresight and the hindsight and, and, and everything that goes into the writing here. It's a cool concept. I'm really enjoying it. Thank you. And and as far as the, the, the sound of the record, um, I also see, uh, I read that it, you've sort of laid it out, you know, in, in the album sense that side one has a sound and side two sort of has a different sound. Is that right? I would say more... Um... It's more a structure of the songs where we, you know, when it comes towards the end of recording and you get this, you know, you're shuffling the deck and you're, it's hard now because we were brought up a generation where, where, where we're brought up with vinyl and there was two sides and you, you, you know, you structured your songs. Now it's quite hard to know how anyone listens to, to music because everyone listens to it differently and it's all a bit more sliced and diced. Now uh, people make their own playlists. People, but nevertheless, before it leaves us, 
we have to come up with uh, what we think a definitive song listing and, 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 and something that we think gives a narrative in its best way. And when we were doing it, it seemed to us that there was two categories. What turns out to be the first, you know, half a songs there, four or five songs there, the sprightly, young, poppy, a very much poppy uh, style songs, very compact, concise arrangements. In the old day, you might have said radio arrangement. Um, um, and they're very much like that. Whereas the second group of songs, some of them last in five, six, even seven minutes, much more expansive, expansive in concept, expansive in sound. The white screen sound of simple minds, bloody blah, blah. But but um, it 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 it's yeah. It definitely felt there was there was a couple of distinct natures of the beast there. And uh, these strings at Abbey Road have had you ever recorded there before this? Well, it's a very funny story because we we in our debut album Life in the Day, we worked with he's a great producer very much at that time a guy called John John Lecky who himself had. Um, Came up through Abbey Road. He 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 cut his teeth engineering and those Pink Floyd records and some of the the Beatles things and all that. And John, in his wisdom, then it wasn't his wisdom on our first album, thought it would be great to uh, us to come down from Glasgow to London. Had had never been in London almost. And 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 I think I don't think it was a week, but we had five days in 1979. We'd never made an album. There we were on Abbey Road and that famous room. And the interesting thing was half the band were so inspired by by that and, and, and you could understand that. However, the other half, including yours truly, <laughs> we shrunk because the magnitude of it was, what does anyone need us for? You know, if everywhere you look around, every tambourine, every mellotron's been used by Pink Floyd and, and, and the Beatles and who the hell needs a record from us? Was was my thought. So I didn't enjoy it first time round. This time round, it was great, you know, because yeah, I had the measure of it, and 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 uh, and you, you were getting into this temple, and it is a temple, and this music temple, and working with these, you know, musicians that are from a different world and from a different source of reference and all that, but um, very enriching, really great. I mean, like, uh, I always sort of wonder that about how it is. Like, like you know, I, I've never been there. I, I've never been over there. And, you know, it's so, so it still has all that mystique for me. And I sort of wonder when you're more local, you know, when you're in the U.K., oh, it yeah. still holds that weight and the sound of it, it does. Oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. I mean, that zebra crossing is outside it. And as I say, there's more to do with the nature of the people involved. I remember our bass player, he was like, isn't this a greater thing? I thought, I was like, no. <laughs> Like what? What are we doing here? Um, with 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 Harley, you know, I was up until then the only time I'd been to London, I was uh, hitchhiking. <laughs> so, I mean, it was something. And so you're going to take this out on the road. You're performing the album in full, and I've got to say that puts a lot of faith in in the new work to say we believe in this thing so much. You're going to hear it from front to back. Well, yeah, I mean, it's it it. <laughs> It's quite a nice turn of event because, let's say, bands of our vintage, more often you get, oh, you're not going to play new stuff, are you? Or, or you you're only going to play some new stuff, aren't you? <laughs> because because that's the way of the world. And and um, however, when we handed this over, couldn't believe it. Record company said, "You've got to play this whole thing. It's going to be great." And, and they had more more faith in it than me. They said, "You've got to play. You know, you're going to play this." And I said, "Yeah, we'll play a few songs." No, no, you're going to play it surely. 
it's eight songs you can do it and I, I mean the structure we're doing it it's only eight or nine gigs and the old days they were called a showcase and you would have gone round and but yeah we're going to play it and we're going to do a bit of talking about it and and last year we did a tour of our acoustic we did acoustic versions of our, our catalog and we ended up doing more talking than we thought we would do and not only that it got it got a great reaction because well there's things to talk about now and 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 uh people kind of like it especially if you can get the right mix of humility and seriousness and humor and uh and be spontaneous and all that as as well and so we're going to do a bit, a bit of some question answer stuff as well, play the stuff, but also, you know, of course, we'll start the set and we'll end the set with some songs from back in the day. Well, I, I'm envious. I, I love this record enough, too, that I would love to see it front to back. So, you know, maybe there'll be a video wow, document of it or something like that. It's You, you really oh, have yourself. Oh, good man. Well, there is. We're, one of the shows is getting filmed and it'll be up on YouTube. Oh, fantastic. Well, I look forward to it. Uh, Jim, it was so great talking to you. Pleasure. Thanks for the the encouragement. Bye-bye. All right. Take care. Bye. My thanks to Jim Kerr of Simple Minds for a nice 40-year quest. If you haven't already, please do hit that subscribe button. And again, you can uh, keep up with us on YouTube or Spotify, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Acast, or Podchaser, wherever you get your podcasts from. After that, head over to WFPK.org. That's where I do a show every Monday through Thursday from noon to 3 Eastern. You can also find some bonus episodes of this series over there. Consequenceofsound.net. They've got all your music and film news needs. You can find me at Twitter at Kyle Meredith, Facebook slash Kyle Meredith. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith. I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.